Hey guys, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. As usual, it's myself, Jack, and Tierra for this episode. And yeah, we're just going to give you, as usual, a bit of a rundown of our weeks and also do a little Q&A as well. We've got some good questions this week. So Sweet. Okay, so the last week, um, so this is now Jack and I's second week back into uni, and I can confidently say this week was a hell of a lot better than last week because last week, you know, we just come back from Thailand. We started our uni semester and last week I just felt really overwhelmed because all of the lectures, you know, they're telling you everything that you're going to have to complete for this semester. And it was a lot at once. And I don't know, you always, you always think like, how the hell am I going to get this done? Because this is a very, very full on semester for Jack and I. And also last week, just getting back into training as well, because I had 10 days off structured training while we were away and getting back into that, my strength was a little bit down. So I just had to take a few days to, you know, find my groove again. But this week was a hell of a lot better. Um, Really gotten back into routine in terms of doing my uni work and training and working. I think I've closed the gym like five times this week, which is really good. And um, yeah, just making everything fit in. And I feel like I'm back in my groove and got my motivation back. My strength is back. And yeah, things are just moving forward. And I'm feeling a lot more confident and in myself, you know, like I can do this (laughs) like one last time. This is our final semester ever. And really determined to just finish strong one last time. So yeah, this week has been much better. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I think I'm just thinking as well that this is our last semester. So only, I don't know, 13 weeks or something until we're done. So we can do it. And yeah, just for, I'm not working as much as Tierra at the gym, but which personally I think is a good thing can just focus on uni and yeah, just have set goals week by week and I can't lie. I just, I really like making money. (laughs) I guess who doesn't, but yeah, yeah, training's been going well for me as well. So this is the first meso cycle back that I basically implemented everything, uh, including movements that have previously hurt my back. So just keeping my fingers crossed and like taking it again, week by week with that as well. And hopefully like nothing comes up, but so far it seems pretty good. And yeah, Tierra and I are also at in a place called Inspire Health for our placement this semester, which is basically an allied health center where which includes like exercise physiologists, physios, sports dietitians. Yeah, it's so damn nice because finally for our last semester of our master's degree, um, the students really get to specialize in an area of interest to them. And Jack and I are so lucky to have scored this placement. So we're working with um, two sports dietitians. One name, her name is Sally Ballman. So she's actually the head sports dietitian for the Reds rugby union team. And she's also just done a huge amount of work in various areas of um, sports dietetics. And she's awesome. And then we're working with another sports dietitian there called Alina. And they're actually both UQ graduates too. But this is just so damn exciting because we get to work and see them in private practice, really working with real athletes. And like Jack said, in that allied health center. So we get to see how the sports dietitian, you know, refers on to the exercise physiologist and then to the physio. 
and um, it should be awesome. And the gym there, it's pretty nice. It's like a high performance gym. Yeah, it's mainly functional stuff, mainly free weights. Mm. Mm. But yeah, that should be super fun. Really looking forward to a prac that I'm actually going to be passionate about, eh? Yeah, it'll be great. So we'll move on to the first question, which is by Chloe. And that is, when scaling food for macros, should they be raw or cooked? Or does it depend? So I think it depends on a few different things. The main thing is that whichever one you choose to go with, either raw or cooked, you just want to be consistent. Mm. I'd say generally raw is a better way to go because usually when you are cooking things, it highly changes the moisture content, which can, you know, depending on how you cook it, if you... Um, fried something compared to if you boiled something and then you weighed it after, it's going to have a pretty different weight. Mm. And depending on how specific you are trying to hit your macros, that could lead to quite a few deviations. Yeah. So I would say it depends on the goal. Like Tierra said, if you're just generally losing weight or if you're in a surplus and gaining weight, I don't think it really matters as long as you're approximating things. And depending if once your goals get more specific, so example, a contest prep, you should then be more specific with how you're weighing things. But for me personally, now that I'm in a surplus, like for example, all of my meat, basically when you cook raw meat, it loses about a third of its moisture content. So I just, um, yeah, calculate my meat now via that. So I don't bother having to like weigh everything raw and all that. I just cook it in bulk and then when I need to use it, I just use the cooked weight. Yeah, but when you were in prep, you were like, you were doing oh, yeah. crazy math equations <laughs> with your chicken, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Jack was like always, I don't, can you explain that? Because I never fully understood. So let's see if I can do that this now. Um, <laughs> so basically I used to measure it out raw and then cook it and then measure the cooked weight and then do some fancy equations so I could then know how much to use for each meal. So. <laughs> Jesus, I was like, this is way too much math for like a chicken breast. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. But hey, he got lean. So if that's what it takes, right? <laughs> okay, but yeah, it's... it's really Maybe I was just consistently doing the wrong thing and that's why it worked. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm just... <laughs> I just hope you hit near your protein target. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, um, for that question, it just it's gonna highly depend. Just whichever one you pick, um, just stay consistent with it. But raw is generally the best way to go. So the next question is by Lawrence, and it, that is, what are your thoughts on the use of intra-workout supplements? Okay, so intra-workout supplements, um, in particular intra-workout carbohydrates, it's really going to depend on what your pre and your post-workout meal are and also the timing of those. So for example, if you already have a pre-workout meal and it's loaded with carbohydrates, you know, you have a bunch of pasta, a bunch of potatoes, a bunch of oats or something, those carbohydrates and that glucose are going to be in your bloodstream and available for your muscle cells, you know, to burn energy. So taking an intra-workout supplement in that case, like drinking a Powerade during your workout it's probably not really going to have any additional effects, I don't think. Yeah, I think we also have to realize that resistance training, even if you're doing like a hard session, it's only going to deprive your muscles of glycogen by about like 40 to 50% max. Yeah, and that's a really hard session as well. Yeah, so 
again, it comes down to the individual and I don't think it always is about performance. So like, for example, I'm again using myself, but like today I'm, I've been feeling very full in my workout. So I'm actually going to lower my pre-workout meal volume and instead have some very fast acting carbohydrates like a Powerade in my workout. Um, so I don't feel as full. So that's just another way of using them. But yeah, the unfortunately, there, is, there isn't that much evidence for bodybuilders and intra-workout or even resistance training in general and intra-workout supplements. But Most of the evidence is done on endurance athletes. So for example, cyclists. And this is if they are cycling at an intensity for like over 90 minutes. And then in that case, you know, blood glucose levels are quite low. And especially doing endurance exercise, you can further deplete muscle glycogen. So in that case, if you're a runner or a cyclist um, doing those really long distances, then yes, having a Powerade or having those carbohydrate gels might be of benefit. But when it does come to bodybuilders, it is really anecdotal. So I would say, you know, if you want to try it out, like if you're in a position like Jack, where, what are your carbs on right now? 550. Yeah, 550, damn. Um, so if your carbs are really high and you're struggling to get those in throughout the day, Jack is taking a strategic approach today where he's going to try to get in more carbohydrates by drinking them. But again, that's going to depend on are you in an improvement season or are you in a prep? How many carbohydrates do you have to spare? So it's really going to come down to the context of you as an individual and your specific situation. But yeah, I would say for most people who are generally doing like, you know, an hour to an hour and a half um, resistance training ex workout and they're having a good meal beforehand and afterhand that both have carbohydrates and protein in them, it's really not necessary. But I'd say if you're interested, try it out and see how you go and see how your strength and performance just responds. Sweet. Okay, so next question. So this was answered by me, um, not answered, this will be answered by Jack. <laughs> um, but this was asked by May. So can you lose fat and build muscle at the same time? This is the age old question, isn't it? Yes. What, but what is the answer? People just don't know the answer, right? So there are probably three circumstances where you can lose fat and build muscle at the same time. The first one is when you're new to training and that's when, yeah, you're just, it's a very new stimulus to the body and you can, yeah, you just have enough potential to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. Mm -hmm. Your body's like, whoa, what is happening? And it gets really excited. And if you're having enough protein shakes, then you just blow up and next minute you're Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, no, but okay, what are some other situations? So. so the second one is when you're returning from injury or time off from the gym. And this is mainly due to, I guess, the concept of muscle memory. Unfortunately, Tiara and I don't know the science behind that. But Ooh, I, I actually did learn a little bit. So essentially, when you build muscle for the very first time, you are actually building muscle nuclei. And then with that muscle nuclei, you have muscle hypertrophy and you have hypertrophy of the muscle fibers. Now, what happens when you take a period off training is that there is atrophy of the muscle fibers, but the muscle nuclei stay around. And you could kind of consider the muscle nuclei like the brains of the muscle fibers, and they kind of hold in that memory of what it was like to 
have muscle per se. Hopefully I'm explaining this in an all right way. But then when you reintroduce that training stimulus, because you've already um, developed those muscle nuclei, they have the memory of what it's like to have muscle and it's much easier to build that muscle up again compared to what it was like the very first time you started training. So So muscle nuclei. Muscle nuclei, yes. They are the little memory tanks of your muscles. And the third circumstance would probably be when you're on performance enhancing drugs. And obviously that just gives you potential to an enough anabolic stimulus to yeah, gain muscle and lose fat simultaneously. Mm. I might also mention that if, for example, if someone is obese or severely overweight and they start to do resistance training and as they're losing weight they'll actually have an increase in testosterone levels and as we know testosterone is the most anabolic hormone for inducing muscle protein synthesis so this individual can lose weight and then build muscle at the same time but yeah essentially if you're a newbie to training it is going to be much easier to build muscle and then be in a slight deficit if your protein is adequate, you know, around that two to 2.5 gram mark and build muscle. But if you're an advanced trainee and you are like 15 years into lifting weights, you really need to be in a surplus. Mm -hmm. Yep. So our next two questions are both on sugar and sugar-free items. And these are by uh, Cara Hansen and Victor. Um, Victor's a client of mine as well at the moment. Oh, great. And so, the, so is sugar a killer? I think that was said. He did say haha, so he, I'm, I'm assuming he's saying that as a joke. <laughs> so is sugar a killer? And basically, are sugar-free drinks okay? Which compounds are not okay? And yeah, basically the truth about sugar-free dietary items, such as Diet Coke and sugar-free lollies. Okay, so I guess kind of the broad umbrella here is just what's the deal with sugar-free items, right? Yeah. So what would you say? So basically there are natural, naturally derived compounds and then there are also synthetic compounds as well that can mimic the sugar taste. So I guess the obvious um, natural one is stevia, which is a stevia leaf. And then they just process that and it has almost no calories, but it is very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. Super. So, yeah. Oh, tell that story. <laughs> what did he do? So I, I bought this... I, when I was a bit younger, I went through the stevia phase and I bought this stevia powder and I didn't realize that it was like a hundred times concentration stevia powder. So I, I put like a tea, like a heap teaspoon in my tea and then it, yeah, it was Jesus. disgusting. So Oh, I thought you had a friend who, cause you've got that big tub of it, big yeah, tub of it I still use. Oh, I thought your friend put a huge spoon into it and had a whole spoonful. And yeah, that happened as well. Yeah. Was that a dare? Uh, I think he just didn't know what he was doing, really. Jesus Christ. Okay. Reminds me of, like, the cinnamon challenge. You basically kill yourself. Okay. So, um, yes. So, there's synthetic and then there's also natural compounds. So, So a synthetic one would be, like, Splendor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, essentially, the truth about them is that legally, if something says sugar-free, it is sugar-free. Um... But I think some marketing techniques might use, um, for example, they might say sugar-free, like refined sugar-free, which might refer to like white sugar and stuff. But if you look on the back in the nutrient information panel, it still might have carbohydrates in it or like no added sugar. It still will have Mm. carbohydrates in it. 
But generally, if something's sugar-free or no sugar, like a sugar-free Coke or something, then yes, it doesn't have any refined sugar. It just has artificial sweeteners in it. And honestly, researchers are trying so hard right now to... They're doing a lot of research on artificial sweeteners and seeing particularly how it impacts health and the gut microbiome. And the truth is, is that they just haven't had any conclusive evidence that it has drastic effects on our gut microbiome. And, you know, I think they actually are trying really hard to prove that it does, but, and I would totally believe it, you know, if research came out like that, because it makes sense, you know, we're putting artificial compounds into our gut and it's influencing all the microbes in there and bad things are happening, but they just can't prove it, you know? So at the moment, um, evidence-based practice really says that in, um, incorporating a few artificial sweeteners into your diet, it is okay. It's all right. Especially it can be really beneficial if your goal is weight loss, but you still have a bit of a sweet craving. You can still enjoy your sugar-free drink so without the, sugar -free the calories. Maple syrup. Yeah, sugar-free. Oh, that is something. So um, mm. The other point is, yeah, I think the key word there is also like a few, like you don't want to go overboard because yeah, as we're about to talk about now, there are these things called sugar alcohols, which is, um, can be used as a type of artificial sweetener. Mm -hmm. And basically their sugar alcohols are basically compounds that your gastrointestinal system cannot digest. So they go through the small intestine and into the large bowel and they are fermented. So if, again, if you look on the back of a nutrient information panel, Popular ones of these are like mannitol, sorbitol, glycerol, xylitol, glycerol, all the things that you see in like protein bars and also like sugar-free gum. Now this can have a few issues. One is that this can cause gastrointestinal distress in quite a few people. I've just heard that anecdotally, but also man, they can really rack up the amount of sugar-free alcohols in a product. For example, at the gym, we sell these protein bars and I was looking out on the back of one and it's like low carb, you know, and technically it only has like three grams of carbs or something, but it has like 20 grams of artificial sweeteners, which is insane, 20 grams. Mm. And yeah, you... You will ultimately absorb some of that, like some of that 20 grams will be calories because it is partially digested. But the other just major concern is that some people do get discomfort from having consuming so much um, sugar alcohol. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's the only thing to keep in mind. Yeah, but they're not, sugar is not going to kill you. Sugar, um, sugar is just broken down into glucose and fructose and in the body, you know, your body will just deal with that. And it's just, it's mm. about total calories yeah, during still, the day. It's still four calories per gram. The only thing that I'll say being the dietitians that we are is that, is that sugar is devoid of nutrients. So just be mindful of how much sugar you are consuming, not because you're going to, something's bad is going to happen. But in, if, if instead you're having lollies when you maybe should be having a bit more nutrient dense, that just might be something to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly. So for example, you're having your Powerade, you know, today mm. during your workout, but the rest of your diet is very nutrient dense. So yeah. it's okay. Yeah, but they're not going to kill you. It's going to be all right. Okay. So the next question is something not nutrition related, which is interesting. 
how much does the back arch affect chest activation on bench? And this is from Junior Yang. So I think this is really going to depend on, I'm assuming you're probably a bodybuilder, but just to give people an idea, so power lifters arch their back during a bench press to reduce the range of motion so that they can lift more weight. Because in powerlifting, the rules are that just your butt has to be on the seat and your shoulders have to be on the seat. But damn, you see some flexible individuals who do some crazy ass arches. It is, <laughs> it's, it's actually very impressive. Um, shout out to one of my old housemates called Maddie Harp. She was amazing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they arch their back to reduce the range of motion. And that's gonna work if you're a powerlifter because you can lift more weight and add to your total. But if you're a bodybuilder and your main interest is actually building your chest, you might wanna think twice about arching your back because by reducing that range of motion, you are getting less pec activation, so less stimulus to actually grow your chest. And also something I've always, I've read in one of my anatomy books, pretty interesting, um, is that the lower fibers on your pecs are actually the strongest. That's why you'll find people who do decline bench, they can actually lift more weight doing a decline bench compared to a flat bench or an incline bench because those fibers are stronger. And when you put yourself into the position of having an arched back, you're recruiting a lot more fibers in um, inferior fibers in your chest so you can lift more weight. Yeah, that's definitely true. I will say the only thing with bodybuilding is that you still want to accentuate your chest sticking out. You definitely don't want to be hunched on a bench. So yeah, just make sure your shoulder blades and your lats are tucked into the bench and you can even have a slight back arch because overall that'll help with strength. You obviously just don't want to be in like the last exorcism or something like that. Jesus, no. <laughs> but what like, so for example, what other movements would you complement it with? So yeah, basically any chest movement really. So like dumbbell bench, machine chest press, mm. cable fly. And in all of those as well, you should still be, um, I guess, sticking your chest out, so to speak. Um, because especially at when I'm on the floor at the UQ gym, I see a lot of people, and especially on machine press, they're just pushing forward. And then at the end of the movement, they then stick their shoulders forward as well, as if they're trying to get that last little bit. But really, you just want to keep your shoulder blades back. Yeah, so as a bodybuilder, think about the overall goal. Like, are you just trying to lift a huge amount of weight or are you actually trying to build your body? So the next question is by Mona. How much of a surplus do you need to be in to gain muscle and strength? So general recommendations are anywhere 100 to 200 calories above your maintenance level. That's per day. And just go from there. Really, It's really about tracking your intake and again, it's all individualized. If your mm. protein's adequate, if fat's adequate, have those calories come from carbohydrates so you can really fuel your performance. But it doesn't have to be drastic. Like, And yeah, you don't actually have to be in a energy surplus to gain strength. That more comes down to programming and... Neuromuscular uh, adaptations. Yeah, especially for females as well. But the other thing I'll say for gaining weight is that personally I prefer to look at it, look at it in a body weight sense. So how much body weight are you gaining per week and or month. So like the recommendations for that are 0.5% to 1% of body weight per month. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so like for example, cause I know another question actually touches on this as well. Uh, say for myself, 
I would rather, so I'm around 83 right now, so 0.5 to 1% of that, and then trying to um, figure my calorie intake so that it suits that amount of weight gain per month. Yeah, but just be tracking your variables, be tracking your weight, be tracking your progress in the gym. If you are gaining weight, make sure that your strength and your performance is increasing as well, because that's an indication you're actually building muscle. Otherwise, you might just be in a surplus and putting on fat if you're not performing any differently. So basically, we have um, someone else here who I'm not going to say the name, but she's had a few questions that are related to her, so we might just cover them very quickly. Cool. But I will also say that we do enjoy answering everyone's questions, but if it's very specific for you, uh, maybe just contact us on the side and we can help you out. So. Yeah, for sure. Jack and I do do one-on-one singular consults. So yeah, like Jack said, definitely hit us up. So basically she is eating around 2.5, sorry, 2.2K calories every day. She's feeling very full and she's eating 70 grams of fiber a day. And then she says, what are her goals? She wants to maintain weight on that or no, she wants to build strength and muscle. Yes. Correct? Yeah. So what I picked up from there is the 70 grams of fiber per day. So the current recommendations are that you only really need 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories. So generally around for the average adult, the recommendation is 30 grams per day. Now there is no issue with going over that. It's really going to depend on you. Definitely let your microbiome and your gut adjust. Don't jump from like 20 grams to 100 grams in a day because shit. <laughs> um, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so... One, if you're feeling really full, you have to think about the overarching goal. So you're saying that you're only eating 2,200 calories a day. Your goal is 2,500, but you can't hit that. So I would look at fiber first. So if you're eating really fibrous foods, clearly that's really filling you up. And if your overarching goal is to eat more calories, then what you need to think about is that main goal. And if you see this as a barrier, then you need to reduce your fiber intake and perhaps eat some more palatable foods that are higher calories so that you can reach your total calorie goal. And so you can actually put on some more weight and aid your performance and building a little bit more muscles. So reduce, it doesn't have to be all the way down to 30 grams, but even eating 40 or 45 grams is still a very sufficient amount of fiber. So if you're eating a lot of like whole grains, then perhaps use a few more refined grains. There's nothing wrong with white rice and white pasta. And Jack can certainly speak to that now. Yeah. So I would, yeah, definitely put it in line with your current goals. So like if you're in a, if you're losing weight, maybe increase the fiber intake to what's comfortable with you in order to feel more full. And when you're um, gaining weight and your appetite isn't as high, use some more easy, fast acting carbs, which are easier to get in. So yeah, that's basically how I would put it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Do we have any more? So we have one more. How do I calculate how many calories I need to bulk up? I'm about 195, 5'10", 14% body fat. And that's 195 pounds, not kilograms. Yeah, and that was by Rahul. So I guess, yeah, this is what I was talking about before. Basically choosing a pretty generic number for someone who is a male 
for that body weight. So I would probably say 2750 calories, maybe slightly more, maybe 3000 calories. Then I would monitor his body weight for a week, see how he responds to that. If he loses weight, then I would increase the calories. If he gains weight, like a lot of weight, then I would probably reduce them slightly until he's at a until he's gaining weight at a number of about 0.5% to 1% of body weight per month. So Yeah, that's great. So just really reinforcing there that that is such an individualized question mm. and it's really going to depend on who you are, what your training's like, what your sleep is like, what your diet's like, genetics and just everything. Yeah, there's definitely not a number that works for everyone because there's definitely there's not even a number that works for you every day because one day you might do 2000 more steps or you might increase your volume that session so yeah it's not as easy as just and if you if you didn't have a coach what i'd say is just accurately track your intake for a week try to eat generally the same thing each day and see how many calories that is and then how your weight is responding and then go from there if you want to gain weight again put yourself in that surplus of 100 to 200 calories if you want to lose weight put yourself in a deficit so I, we also have another question, which is by Alex Barnes, and that is also, how do you self-assess a squat? Mm, so how would you self, because you're, you're doing, you're really trying to assess your squats right now. So how are you self-assessing? So I don't know if there's a proper like X-Fizz, there probably is a proper explanation, but just for, on how I'm doing it, I'm basically taking a video from the side, the front and the back, and then looking at my technique, are my knees coming in? Am I butt winking? Is my depth good enough? All that sort of stuff. And then because, and then I usually try and fix it myself from the knowledge that I have, or I seek help from someone who might know more than me. So I've been, my friend Locks, who's a new exercise physiologist and my coach, Alan, who, yeah, um, who's helping me as well. So Yeah, but I do just want to say very quickly that I think the squat is an exercise that it's like the movement's really going to come down to your body structure, how long your limbs are, and it's not always going to look like textbook form. You just want to make sure that however you are performing the squat, you want to be as safe as possible, and especially with hitting depth, going down to a depth that you can hit comfortably. I know for example, myself, I have very long legs. I've got a long torso. And when I do squats, I I can't go ass to grass. Like my mobility just won't let me and my limbs won't let me compared to Jack. He has a phenomenal squat. And for someone like me with a long torso, I will bend very far forward. But yeah, the main thing is that you are staying safe. Your knees are out. You're lifting a weight that you can confidently lift and you're not going to failure. Just take care of yourself and yeah, do get help or a second opinion from a professional. Yeah. Sweet. Okay, so final question. One thing that we learned this week. What's one thing that you learned this week? I actually went first last time, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Okay, so this week from one of my PT clients, um, she's doing her PhD and she's actually using a lot of mice models. It's pretty interesting. She's actually found this breed of mice that are resistant to malaria, and they're trying to find out why. But essentially, she let me know that in the ethics part of her PhD, because they are using mice models, and to avoid animal cruelty, they can actually write little things in there 
for the ethics of the mice. So for example, before these mice sacrifice their life to science, she's actually written in there, like whoever is going to kill the mice to please feed them a few sunflower seeds before um, before they die. So I thought that was really sweet because I didn't actually know they did that in animal research. And I think that's very humane and that's very kind. And I just, I thought that was sweet. If I was a mouse, I think I'd really appreciate getting a little sunflower seed before I died, so. Yeah, I thought, I didn't even know that. Isn't that, that's really nice. I, I'm glad they don't just kill them. It's good. They're giving their life, man. They're giving their life, so we I have a life. I don't think it's not voluntarily, though. I know, but it's still very sweet. It's very nice. All right, so one thing you learned. So, yeah, Tiara and I are doing, uh, thankfully, we get to choose one of our research topics for one of our courses this semester, and we're doing basically the protein recommendations for athletes or resistance-trained athletes undergoing weight loss who want to maximally retain muscle mass. So, yeah, we've been learning. Basically, we're collating a number of papers, probably around 10 to 20, and then writing a literature review on that. So, yeah, I've learned quite a few or just basically reinforcing knowledge so far on that. There really isn't that much conclusive knowledge around this area. And, yeah, we're excited to, like, delve in and see what we can find. But I think it is going to be, like, around – it's going to not going to be astronomically high. I think it's probably going to be around 2.5, mm -hmm. like, or two between 2 and 3 grams, really, um, grams per kilo per day. Yeah, exactly. And it's really going to come down to the distribution of that protein, the t like, the quality of that protein, and also your ratio of fat-free mass t compared to your body fat percentage because – if you have a very low body fat percentage, you are more likely to catabolize muscle tissue for energy. Mm. There is also this really good resource by Alan Aragon, I think, who basically compares top level bodybuilders like placing top five and they compare, they compare, sorry, he compares the protein, carb and fat distribution across the top five and the people who didn't come top five. So, and I guess the distinguishing feature in that was that protein was high in those who came top five, so around three grams per kilo of body weight. And carbohydrates was also very high, and fat was pretty moderate to low, or low pretty much, compared to the nutritional recommendations. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't believe anyone on a ketogenic diet even placed, <laughs> did they? No. no, no. Sorry about or that. Or even competed, mainly. Sorry about that. Keto pumps were not in the top five. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, so guys, thanks so much for tuning in again for our 12th episode. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, again, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we will catch you next week. See you guys. Bye.